Support for Gig with Mike Redman comes from Music Connection. For 45 years, connecting artists and musicians with each other and the industry. And you can find them on the web at musicconnection.com. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Gig. I'm your host, Mike Redman. You know, I'm often asked, how do I get into movies? It's an interesting and complex question, and there's no easy answer. But today, I get to talk with award-winning casting director, Cammie Patton, who will give you some insight. If you want to be in the entertainment industry and, quote, on screen, you'll first need to win over the casting director, who also happens to be the first person usually hired when a project is greenlit. Cammie is fun, smart, and obviously very good at what she does for a living. She's cast such shows as Justified, Silo, Pushing Daisies, The Americans, and over 100 other shows. This is a must-listen for anybody in the film industry. So let's get started. Well, hi, Cammie. Uh, it's so nice to have you with me here today on Gig. I just want to welcome you. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. This is pretty cool. Um, uh, Gramios thinks the world of you. I keep doing shout-outs to him for uh, slowly turning me onto his friend friend base, you know, his friend list. Um, he is the best. I think the world the, of him. Yeah, he really is. So could you just start off with hopefully a simple question? We'll, get, we'll start off with a simple question. What exactly does a casting director do, and what are you responsible for? So basically, we are um, we're responsible for understanding the tone and uh, and the taste of the creator of a project and the director of a project and bringing bringing that world to life for them. We're, there are quite a few of us who do similar things, you know, department wise. Um, but our version is to bring them the talent that's going to uh, set the tone that they want, express it, understand it. Graham is a great example of specifics because Graham uh, has a very specific style of writing in that all of his characters, no matter what's happening, whether it's dark or, or, you know, incredibly dramatic, they're all going to have humor. There's always going to be a bit of sarcasm, a specific type of humor that completely speaks to me and finding people that understand that. And particularly like for the show Justified, where some really dark things happened, but there was always a twisted sense of humor about it. And it's, it's a, you know, it's a needle to thread of people who actually could feel authentically Southern and actually hit that exact note that he wrote. And, um, you know, it's, it's our challenge to find that it's also our challenge to uh, present people that maybe they wouldn't have thought Mm -hmm. were what they were thinking and have them go, Oh, hang on. You know, um, so we get we get to I like to think of it, it's like we're art curators. We understand the collection that they have already. We understand the style that they respond to. And occasionally we get to open them up to a style maybe they didn't realize they would respond to. That's really interesting you say that. The idea that, you know, we're all creative people. And for Graham, who's obviously very fertile and he definitely has a style to trust you and to trust other people to expand our creativity. It takes that. Well, that's what a good collaborator is. You know, you're you're not collaborating if you're saying exactly what it's got to be. When you say this is what I'm thinking and this is what I'm I am anticipating and what, you know, I envision. Show me what you got. That's the best that I've ever worked with or are very open to. Okay. Hang with me. I know this is not what you said. 
Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. You know, we want that on all of us. I, I have agents who do that for me. You know, we in every aspect of of I think of an artistic endeavor. If you're going to collaborate, you have to be open to what you didn't expect or anticipate. You know, but but there is something beautiful about the the simpatico that you can get with someone you've worked with for a long time, where you just know in your gut on every level that this is what they're looking for, and they get it. Some of the questions I ask you might seem weird, but I'm sure that you'll fix them for me. But is it weird to be on the other side of an interview? Uh, yeah, uh, it has been happening more lately. I, for a long time, I was very guarded about that. I feel like it's very easy, um, particularly for casting directors, for some reason, because of what we do, the, the way questions sometimes come to us, it's very easy for us to come off sounding differently than we uh, than we intend. You know, and and so I've I've sort of always been very hesitant. One thing we do learn after a while is, you know, this isn't brain surgery. That is one of the my favorite. Actually, one of my first casting directors that I ever worked with when I was at Lorimar, we were we had a pool of casting directors that were amazing, and one of them was a woman, Doris Saba. And when the pressure was on, she would just start cackling in her office. Yeah. We're flying, <laughs> and she would be like, "We're not curing cancer." How early in a production does the casting director typically get involved? I'm usually very often the first person hired after a show is greenlit. Mm. Quite often before there's a director. Um, usually before there's a director because they the minute they greenlight a project, they want to get started on a tr- on talent. Uh, and sometimes projects are greenlit that are um, casting contingent which means it's not actually greenlit until we have cast the leads. And so at that point, it's just me and the showrunner, you know, depending, they, sometimes they've got a writer's room, if depending on how the project has been, um, you know, now more and more with streamers projects will actually have several scripts written before they've got the actual green light to go on the first one. But yeah, we're almost always first. And that's uh, cool. It is. It really is. And Particularly when my favorite thing is when there's nobody attached and it's just a blank slate and we're just, you know, get to go. Now, it's also wonderful if somebody fantastic is attached. But Graham's probably going to get mad at me. It's everybody that doesn't know it's Graham Yost. You can look him up on IMDb. Uh, he's probably going to get mad at me because I could keep referring to him because he's I'm sure he won't. Well, you know what? You had a really long, uh, an amazing relationship with Graham on shows like the Americans, Justified, what, Silo, Band of Brothers, a bunch of... The Pacific, Boomtown, Rain. So tell me what, tell me how it works. Tell me how, what happens when you get a call from uh, Graham about a project or something and how does the conversation go? I mean, what's it like? I mean, it usually, it, they're all different. Um, often I know what he's, what he's hoping and working on and hoping is going to go before it goes. Um, other, t- you know, because if he's excited about something, then he'll start talking to me about it. Um, other times, uh, yeah, it's when it looks like it's going to happen. It starts with him saying, let me send you this script and telling me whatever he feels he wants me to know about it going into it. There's never been a time, uh, that he has sent me something I haven't responded to. 
I love everything he's ever written. So fortunately, I've never been in an uncomfortable position where I've had to say, I'm not sure this is the one for me. (laughs) You know, the minute I start reading it, my brain starts going in terms of and one of the other things that I absolutely adore about Graham is that he is um, he is an incredibly loyal individual, period, to all the people that he works with and cares about. So he has, we like to call it our rep company of people that, um, you know, that over time he's gotten, he's worked with. And you'll notice that there are actors that show up in a lot of what he does because he adores them. Uh, so we have now, after this much time, a little bit of a shorthand. You know, I know pretty much everybody he knows. And then I, and so when there's someone new to me that I think he will appreciate, you know, I'm excited to share that with him. And he does that with me and it's fantastic. He sends me things that he knows that I will, you know, like I remember years and years ago, he sent me Winter's Bone before it. I I had never heard of it. It had just come out. um, And, you know, there's Jennifer Lawrence and he turned me on to her. So it, it, it is absolutely a collaboration. But um, yeah, it, that is a call I am always excited to get. Take me inside of a casting session. How do you prepare? Who's involved? What types of things do you ask talent? How do you make the final selections? That kind of type of thing. Well, that has really evolved. Um really evolved. Uh, and I I know that there's a lot of, there are a lot of different opinions at the moment of, of where it is right now. And there are a lot of things that I think are concerning to actors about where it is right now. But from my perspective, there are so many more positives than negatives. We are now at a point where the first wave of everything is generally, you know, aside from the type of people you'd make offers to, are self-tapes. And the way I work it, uh, I will send out requests for self-tapes, but I also always say that for anyone who feels that that they, you know, that would prefer it, I will happily Zoom with them and tape it myself. Because for some people, that's a better situation. In the old days, actors would come into the room, and if it was just me, it was a much, me and my associate, it would be a much more relaxed environment. We could play with it a bit. We could, you know, they were close but didn't quite understand something. And then we would have callbacks with the producers, writers, director, and if it was for a series, for a pilot or whatnot, often a studio executive in that room. Uh, And the stakes are so much higher at that point. So if someone is just having an off day or they walk in the door and see all of these faces and get nervous, there's so many things that can throw them off their game. And... There are rooms that I've been in that are completely forgiving of that and get it and understand it and give people a a chance to regroup. Um, But there are also rooms that, particularly if they've already seen what they wanted to see and responded to someone, are not going to necessarily work hard with the next person to get them there. And I feel like that, that has held people back from doing their best work in certain times. And so what I appreciate now about where we are, first of all, I could cover so much more ground if I'm not limited to how many people I can see in this minute time span. And then if someone doesn't show on the day, that's a space someone didn't get to come and audition. And I and I can only physically get that many people in, right? Whereas I can put out self-tapes and see people from all over the world and be exposed to people I have never seen before. And it is so, and, and, and 
I also can say, okay, I'm looking at this self-tape. This person is not right at all for this part, but they're good. And I like this about them. And I'm going to remember them for this. And so I've learned new people, right? But I have, but I am not have, I don't have to watch all three scenes of what they did because I know this is not the answer. And so I'm still learning and being exposed to new people, but I, and I'm able to, you know, just spread my wings way further in terms of what, what we can find. And the actors are sending me what they feel is the best take of what they did. This is what they want to present to me. Okay. If it's wrong, but they're good and they could be right, then I will either go back to them with notes and ask them to retape or offer to get on a Zoom and do it with them. But I can see if they're right. You know what I mean? Even if they take the wrong take, I can see if they're right for the role. There's an essence that you just get. So for me, I think that is, a, even though actors, I think, feel that there's more pressure on them because in a vacuum, they're trying to interpret something and they don't have us there. I'll always get on the phone with someone if they have questions. I'll always get on the Zoom and do it with them if they would prefer. But often what I have to say to them changes their natural instinct to something. And that is more important to see because that's where the surprise comes. That's where you go, oh, hang on. I didn't even think of it that way. And this is amazing. You know what I mean? So from my perspective, this is a beautiful scenario we're in where the artist is actually in control of what they're putting out. And, you know, and then, and then also my producers have seen it and are invested in it before they're at a situation where we're in the room with them or having a callback. So they know what they're capable of. And if it doesn't go right, then they're inclined to say, okay, here's what we liked about this. Let's take a little of that and let's do this. And you know what I mean? It just, I think it is a much more humane and fair process for the artist this way. Uh, that's an incredible re- uh, evolution. I, I really think it is. And I, I think the other, the other issue I've heard that is fair is because, because this is happening this way, actors are getting way more auditions and there's a lot of demand to, in, you know, try to do your best work and prepare and whatever and all these things. There, there are a couple of things there. One, they can pass on the ones they don't feel that they could completely connect to. That is never a problem. Two, uh, their agents can always come back to us if they need a little more time. Often we're under the gun. And so we'll say it like we've got this much. If it's episodics, you're moving so quick. We, we need it by this time. But that is a conversation to always have. And, uh, and, you know, the other part of it is that they are saying, we send this off in the ether and we have no idea if it's ever seen. That's also fair. When I put out requests for self tapes, I watch every tape. I even watch them if the role gets cast and something comes in later. I want to know those people. So I, I know that's not true of everybody. Every office works differently, but most offices delegate even if they have a great associate that they know knows what they're looking for but someone is watching them i do think it's entirely fair for actors to be able to have some sort of receipt to know that that Uh was watched if it was requested it should be watched you know but that's not an issue for me because i already do that so that i think I, I completely understand that but i do think it would be helpful for actors to understand the benefits that are coming from this way of working. And, and as, as we get further from 
the pandemic and everything else, I think we will, there will be more and more of a hybrid where this is how it starts. And then at the end of the process, you are physically in a room with those people. But like I say, by then they are all invested in you being there. So you walk into a different energy. I mean, I'm going to give you, I'll give you one example, sorry, on Justified in particular. We did that for six years and saw a lot of people in those six years. And all of them I had on tape on my site on Cast It, you know. And as we got into later seasons, there were people that had auditioned for us many times. They were perfectly right for the show. They were so good. They came so close. Or they weren't right for that part, but they were the show. They got it, you know. And there were so many instances where I would read a part, think of someone that had auditioned for us before, send that to Graham and Michael Dinner, if he was, you know, he directed so many of them um, and was our directing producer, um, but or whoever the director was of that episode. And I would say, I love this person. They've read for us so many times. They could do this in their sleep or whatever it is, take a look. And they would say, absolutely, we get it. And we would then just come and offer that role to this person, you know, and, and it's, it's, it is a library that you are, that you are developing, you know, um, and I've had it happen on shows where I'm sending an audition from a different show and saying, it's someone that I love. I want you to know them. And, you know, and then just like, huh, great. So yeah, it's, it's all, I feel like good work is good work and it's all for a reason. And whether or not you get that job, it is adding to, you know, what is going to bring you the the work in at, at whatever point. I don't know. That's my sister used to, my sister's an actress and she used to say the audition is the job. You do your job, do a great audition and then walk out of the room and don't think about it again. You went to work that day and you did your job. Tell me about a time when you cast a show and it was a home run for the show and for you personally. And I have a lot. Well, I mean, I have a lot of them, thankfully. No, you can do more than one. Is Let's see. Um, it was Pushing Daisies um, where uh, on the interview to meet the creator of the show, Brian Fuller and my producers, um, I, I, you know, we always, as a casting director, you try to, you want to know if you're, if you get in the tone, if you're, if you are understanding it. Barry Sonnenfeld um, was in this meeting as well. And, or no, actually he wasn't, he wasn't on yet. Um, anyway, we, I, so you have ideas that you want to discuss because if you, if they feel perfect to you and that's not, and you're not in that ballpark, then you've misread the material. You know what I mean? So uh, and Pushing Daisies was another show that had an incredibly specific tone that people loved and responded to, but weren't always able to quite do um, as actors. Um, so anyway, on the on the first meeting, I said that I thought the lead role felt like Lee Pace to me. And at that time, he hadn't done a whole lot, but he had done a show for Brian Fuller. So I knew Brian would have an opinion about whether or not I was in the right ballpark. And he was like, oh my God, that's exactly who I see. And so from the get-go, it's like, okay, we're, I get it. I get it. We're in tune. I understand what you're looking for. You see that I know what you're looking for. Like, let's, let's run with this. And we did. And at that time, uh, Lee had several, several things going on um, and wasn't really looking to do television. Uh, even though he wasn't really a name, particularly he was kind of cresting he was you know his it was all working for him and 
So we went about the process of trying to cast that role, um, but always knowing Brian and I in the back of our minds that he was who we wanted. And thank God Brian had a relationship with him. So he had sort of reached out to Lee and kept kind of trying to entice him to consider it. And I kept working with Lee's manager uh, at the time, like just begging because it, it was such good material. So it wasn't easy to just say, you know, absolutely not. Um, and then eventually uh, Lee kind of decided, gave us an opening, like, okay, okay, I'm thinking about this. But he wasn't at a place where the studios and the networks would know that he could do it. Like there was nothing we could show them that would say, this is why we're so passionate, right? So he was going to have to test. And he, it all happened really, it went from no, 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 to maybe to okay. And like, but it had to happen right away because if he wasn't, (laughs) he had to know if he was going to do it or not do it, right? So he gets on a plane, all these things were happening. It was, there was just so much. He gets on a plane, he gets here, Um. He, he, it, it, there'd been s- several things happening in his personal life leading up to it. And so he was exhausted and he was a little distracted that night that he landed. And yet we had to be at the studio at eight o'clock the next morning and then go from the studio directly to the network for him to do his test. And so we met in Barry Sonnenfeld's hotel room to do a work session with him the night before. and. He's so special, but you could feel he was in his head. And Barry really, you know, this was the first time Barry was meeting him and being really exposed to him at all and was giving him wonderful notes and whatnot. But it was, it was, he was listening. It was not necessarily coming back out correctly, right? And but it was so something like you could ah, you could like see it there, you could see it, but it just wasn't singing. And he went to bed. You know, I went home. Everybody does go does. Barry looks at me right before, and he's like, "What do you think?" And I said, "I know, I know it's in there. I know it's in there. I haven't seen it yet, but I know it's in there." And I'm like, you know, <laughs> just how how and. The next morning at eight o'clock, we walk into, um, um, oh God, I lost his name, Peter Roth of Warner, of Warner Brothers. We walk into Peter Roth's, Mary Buck's office, Peter Roth walks in and we, and we do the, he, Lee comes in and we say to him before, you know, we're like, we really invested in him, Barry. We all loved him. We just, you know, and, and in was Lee and he has taken in every single note in the most perfect way. And he just delivers it. It's just like, I mean, I have goosebumps thinking about it. It was so spectacular. And we all, like our jaws were on the floor. He walked out, Barry's like, that's the guy. This is our guy. And everybody in the room was like, yeah, he is. Yeah, he is. And their only worry was now we're going to the network. We're taking one person. We're not giving them any other choice. They never like that. They always rail against it. What are we going to do? How are we going to, how are we going to set this up? So, so that they understand, you know, we're like, oh, there's the, all about little, how, whatever. We didn't have to, we got to the network. Steve McPherson was president at the time. He was, other things were happening. He was late, you know, which then gives actors time to get in their head as they're out there pacing, waiting for this, like the momentum, you're feeling it kind of Lee 
just so he's perfection. He's so, he just did what he needed to do orbiting until it was time and walked in and he, he, the light was just on. That's the only way I know how to describe it. it. Just radiated from him. And there was no question when he walked out of that room, they turned around and they were like, okay, who's the perfect Chuck for his Ned? It wasn't even a conversation. It was like, obviously he's the guy. And that, you know, is just, that's why we do this. That's exactly why characters do this job, to be in that moment and see someone claim it and and just inhabit it. Not that I want to know how much you made, make, but how are casting directors paid? Well, that's changing for all time. Uh, unless you're on staff somewhere, we've been paid by the episode. And there are quite a few, uh, there are quite a few areas in our business where that's how you're paid. Um, and in traditional television, oh, that's for television. And in, um, in movies, often you're paid, they give you a certain amount that that's going to be the top that you're going to make. And then they, and then they buy quite a few weeks for that time. Okay. A long time because movies take so much longer, but for television, the old format was that you would work a half hour show was going to be five days. And every three weeks or so you would have a week of hiatus, which didn't apply to casting directors because we're prepping the next episode always. Right. And then uh, in drama, you would work eight days generally for an episode. So your episodic fee would be based on eight days and you'd get your weekly pay prorated off of that. Okay. Uh, figure out the whole run of production, how long it's going to take plus a couple of weeks in front and then how many episodes multiply your fee by those episodes, give you a weekly salary. What's happened since streamers have become so prevalent there are higher budgets. There are longer spans of time. There's a lot of cross-boarding of multiple episodes. And it's there's no real way to... We, we have all gone backwards. And this is part of what's happened to everyone. Actors may get a really nice episodic fee, but it's taking them way longer to shoot way fewer episodes, right? So for us, instead of doing 22 episodes in the same time frame, we're getting paid for 10 or eight or six or whatever it is, but it's taking months. So in our last, uh, we're Teamsters, casting directors in Los Angeles are Teamsters. Uh, in the last round of negotiations, we uh, negotiated the right to uh, negotiate a weekly fee as opposed to an episodic fee so that no matter how long it takes, we're, we are guaranteed that fee. Is, are there residuals in, do, do you participate? Uh, in the only, that, no, the only person, the only casting director that I know of that ever got residuals was Judith Wiener for casting um, Family Ties because she was the reason they went with Michael J. Fox and Gary David Goldberg said, we wouldn't have this show if you hadn't convinced me. For this episode, we're going to wrap up with this question, which is something I ask everybody. If I was uh, to listen to you and think, wow, I I really do love what she does and I would like to head down this path, um, what skills should somebody have to be successful and possibly how would I get started or get my foot in the door? Okay, so first, uh, you need to have a fairly organized mind. Um, it is one of the few uh, areas of our business where we have to be creatives. We're artists. 
but we are also, we have to have a business mind. We, we work with the studio to develop what the budget is going to be for, for talent for that episode. We have to work within that budget. We negotiate deals. We, we oversee contracts. We, um, you know, there, there is a huge part of this. There are so many rules that we have to know in terms of how, what kind of deals we can make depending on what the project is and, um, and it's changing at all times. So that's the business side of it. And, uh, and then as creatives, you really need to understand talent and, uh, and, and understand tone, which is a really hard thing to teach anybody. you get it or you don't. And not everybody's right for every tone and not everybody, you know, just like actors, uh, there are there are actors who are brilliant at comedy. Most actors who are brilliant at comedy can be amazing dramatic actors, but all dramatic actors cannot necessarily do comedy. And it's similar in every line of the of work, you know, like the same for casting directors, you know, or maybe they could do this style of comedy, but this is not really their, you know, we are all we all bring different things to it. So understanding what your strengths are and then also kind of paying, you have to pay attention. You pay attention to everything you see. You go to theater, you, you, you know, you, you learn what it takes to be an actor because we are, are largely the first front in being able to try to help them get to where they need to be on something. And so even if you, you know, you, you need to understand directing to a degree doesn't mean we want to be directors, but we need to be able to help so that when we bring them to our director, they're already somewhat formed in terms of what's right for what we're doing. You know what I mean? We're the, we're the first front of expressing to our industry what it is we're looking for and what that tone is and getting getting agents to bring to us and work with us and help us and show us people we might not have thought of that make sense for it. So um I would say you want to work on both of those things. Start watching everything you can watch. Study filmmakers. Understand what those particular filmmakers' tone is. Um, how to get started? Uh, CSA, uh, Casting Society of America. If you go on the website, there are programs. Um, they do mentorships. They do internships. They do. Uh, the person who is my assistant right now went through the program. So that she could understand how cast it works, how uh, Breakdown Express works, a, a lot of the fundamentals of things that we use on a regular basis. And, um, uh, you know, there there is a lot that is particular to our job that isn't just being able to use Excel or, you know what I mean? It's, and so all of those tools you can get exposed to by going through the CSA's programs um, and they're open to anyone. So. Uh, and I highly recommend it. It is a really fun job. Cami, thank you so much. You're just, a, <laughs> I can tell you, it'd be lovely to hang out with. Um, uh, I'm going to come, I am going to come back to you. I, I just did my first podcast where it was the, the, they were so good. I said, I have to do two parts and you're, you're definitely, I'd like to do another one with you if you have some time you know, Anytime. Few months from now. Awesome. Uh, thank you, Graham. One more time. Uh, <laughs> thank you, Graham. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I'll look forward to talking to you again. I'll stay in touch. Thank you so Sounds much. Sounds wonderful. Thank you. My pleasure. Bye-bye. Theme music for Gig with Mike Redman was composed and produced by Other Animal. Thank you for joining me today for another episode of Gig with Mike Redman. 
you like what you heard, I'd ask that you subscribe and like us. And finally, if you have questions about a job or ideas for an episode, contact me at gigwithmikeredmond at gmail.com. Until next time, I'm Mike Redmond, signing off.